Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Three sixty rolls on across the Outkick Network. The final hour is here. College football discussion coming up in about twenty minutes. NFL headlines and news and notes. Right now, you can join the conversation at Outkick three sixty on Twitter, and you can follow along on YouTube as well. Just subscribe to the channel Outkick three sixty. Uh, Paul, injury report for the Titans includes which players who should play. Well, Jayon Brown said that he is playing. So that takes care of that. Um, he's going to be there. We know Taylor Lewan is going to play. Roger Saffold talked as if he is, uh, is playing. I'm calling it up here. I'm sorry I had not seen it. Uh, it, it is also so big that it is hard to see. Um, so Bud Dupree is questionable and Caleb Farley Anthony Ferkser and um, Derek Roberson are out. Everybody else, even though it's a long list, has no designation, therefore not a, a consideration. So we don't have to worry about the starting status of, of Ben Jones, of Roger Saffold, of Lawan, of Sam who who cropped up uh, this week with a, a foot injury. Um, with Jayon Brown, who who didn't practice on Wednesday. A lot of guys. It was a long list. But ultimately, they're not in that bad of shape. Farley's a non-factor anyway. Ferkser was out last week, but but uh, Pruitt did a pretty good job replacing him. Derek Roberson's a, a, a nothing, really. When though, did, when did um, Rashad Weaver didn't do much in his, his place. When did Farley's injury occur? It must have occurred in the season opener, I think. I don't remember if he was on the injury report the Wednesday after the injury. Arizona game, but he played special teams, and then he played two series maybe of mop-up work where they emptied yeah. the bench on defense. Um, and I think he was on the injury report that Wednesday. So, I mean, it's really kind of a gift to him that's buying him time because the excuse isn't he's not ready now. The excuse is he's out with the shoulder injury. I don't know, Hutt. If he was healthy right now, if he would be a part of the answer in a secondary that needs some help, which is a sad story that I know ticks us all off, right? That's inexcusable. If he's not helping, if he's healthy. Because they need, uh, you know, conceivably, Molden could help you at safety or you're, you're one injury, you're one twisted ankle away from really needing that guy. Uh, and that guy probably right now is, is Breon Borders, who we know doesn't have the athletic characteristics that Caleb Farley has. You don't draft him where they drafted him if they believe he's going to be healthy to sit on the sideline. You draft him based on his athletic traits alone that will allow you to be better defensively while he picks up the nuances of the position. Look, and we keep going back. I mean, uh, uh, Mike Vrabel said on draft day, Guy can play cat coverage. Go cover that cat. 
Well, they're in games now. I mean, this isn't one of those games necessarily, though you'd certainly like to put them on one of the Colts' cats. But these first two games were loaded with cats that you wanted cover. Go cover Rondale Moore. Go cover, yeah. uh, you know, you, you, you wouldn't necessarily ask him to go cover DeAndre Hopkins in his first game. Ultimately, though, you want to be able to ask him to cover well, DeAndre point, Hopkins. You want him to cover a kitty, even. Go get a kitten. Go get the third receiver on the team. Let's get on the field. Yeah. And certainly <laughs> I mean, last, last week. It's not just the cat. I'm, I'm not expecting the guy at this point to, to you know, hey, go, go defend the best receiver on every team that the Titans play. It's more of let's get you able to play on Sundays at corner. Last week, Tyler Lockett had the most receiving yardage in the NFL. If you're not putting your first-round pick on that guy and saying, go cover that cat, then at least you can bump everybody down one and have him go cover. Look, uh, 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 Fulton was doing a good job on Metcalf. Well, you could say to Fulton, go cover Lockett, and then you could say to Farley, go cover Metcalf. You know, bump everybody down and shift things around. It's not in the realm of possibility for them right now because of this shoulder. But, you know, and I'm not saying they're amping up the shoulder. They'd be practicing him if they could practice him. They're not benefiting from him not practicing. Uh, That doesn't mean they wouldn't be scratching him on Sunday because of his ill-preparedness. Well, he'd be on special teams. He was doing that week one. I don't remember how many snaps he got, though. He's, He's no big special teamer. They're not looking for him to play special teams. You know, he's not like... Uh, why, did, why was he out there week one? Well, they got to find something for him to do, I, I presume, because they dressed him as a low-ranking DB and low-ranking I mean, DBs it, play Think about teams. what we're discussing here with Caleb Farley. This is oh, a guy who ran, what, 24 miles per hour at one point? He clocked at like 23 miles per hour. I think Length, so. size for the position, 6'1", uh, can jump through the roof, and they can't, they're just trying to find something for him to do when he's healthy? Yeah, he, I mean, if you what did he me, do? Give me a lineup of, of people to play cornerback. The That's night the he guy was drafted, say, that guy. The night after he was drafted, he sat in a car and did a press conference where he talked about how he was looking forward to those one-on-one matchups with the best wide receivers in the league. He lives for those things. The competitor in him wants that. He could not wait to go up against AJ Brown in practice. At the time, they didn't have Julio Jones. Uh, the guy was eager, and he had this. You know, this, uh, he, he, wasn't, he, he didn't mind bragging about his ability. No. And now uh, they don't even want his ability on the field. Here's something else that I hadn't thought about until right now. I believe that Christian Fulton last year when he played, what, five or six games, and he was out with two different injuries yeah. over the rest of the season, I believe he was really beaten down by them for his inability to get back like that he needed an offseason to recover from that. We're only now seeing Christian Fulton as, as they saw him as a second-round pick out of LSU. So if Farley now has this shoulder for a while here, you know, I, I don't know what his gumption is. You hope he's got first round, you know, I'm going to show you kind of things. And I'm not saying, I'm not making any excuses for him or apologies. I think the Titans should be hard on him. I also think Vrabel knows. I don't know if Vrabel knows. I think they beat up Christian Fulton last year and made it difficult for him to reemerge. And I wonder if Caleb Farley can withstand what Christian Fulton couldn't withstand last year, and it only spirals worse. Now, I know what you're going to say. I want my first-round pick to be tough enough to withstand and yeah. come back from whatever, but I can imagine that Vrabel is a tough guy 
to deal with when you're sitting in rehab with the shoulder and they, they want you and you've already not impressed them and, and everything. I would imagine there's some mental warfare, uh, for lack of a better terminology, that goes on inside that building and they can break you. John Robinson and Mike Vrabel are friends, right? Yeah. John Robinson knows Mike Vrabel's personality and his coaching style as well as anyone, right? Yeah. Yes. Then bring in people that are titans that will mesh with Mike Vrabel. It's not that difficult. I mean, we've come a long way. Well, they had the love bowl with, issue with Christian, last year. Christian Fulton Chad. being mentally beaten down for not coming back from injury and Caleb Farley now not seeing the field from Jeffrey Simmons getting on the field quicker than anyone expected in his rookie year, coming back from a major knee injury, and then playing well at the end of his rookie I, year, coming back from a major knee injury. I don't think Jeffrey Simmons is as great as people think because of his reputation before he got here, but that's the type of mindset the Titans want, right? I, a guy who's going to fight like hell to get back on the field and do something, which he did his rookie year. So something's not lining up. If this is the case. Well, I, I, get, I, I entirely get what you're saying. I just think wh- when you get from draft day to week three or let's call it week five and the guy's not produced and he expected to be really good and the mind stuff starts working on you and you've got the shoulder injury and the doubt, none of which I'm endorsing, right? It, it's all weak on some level. It, it's a different deal. Vrabel likes him on draft day. Vrabel likes what he saw on film. Vrabel's into all of that. But then he shifts into I've got to win games mode and everything. And there's that guy sitting over there in the ice tub, and he's not helping me. I don't look at it as a Mike Vrabel issue. This is a Caleb Farley issue. This is a dude who opted oh, out last year. No, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying. But I think Mike Vrabel shifts into a different mode. You know what he's like. If you can't help me right now, I'm not concerned with you. I, you're over there. You're on the outside. I I took now the, you've got to learn how to deal with that. The comment he that Vrabel made right before He's not the ready. first preseason game, he says Caleb's not ready to go. He and leaves he the podium, turns around, says the same thing. Yeah, there's a follow. You up. took it as he's his his back issues or whatever aren't allowing him to play. Four days later, he was participating in a joint practice on the field in Tampa, Tampa Bay. Bay. Then he played the second. So if it's a back issue, those four days not playing in Atlanta had no bearing over his health status. I took that answer to mean this guy isn't with it yet. And, well, and then and he has a shoulder injury that doesn't pop up till the Thursday after the Sunday game. He practiced that Wednesday. Did he practice And then Wednesday? he was on the injury report the following day. Hutton, you think a lot of this stems from him opting out last year? I think that's a mentality. It didn't help him be ready. It's a mentality well, of do you, do you – we go back to do you love football. When you opt out – and you had the, the comment prior to the draft. You would not have drafted a player who opted out. No, and I would assume that John Robinson wouldn't. This is, this is where the message is confusing because football loves ball, right? That's one of the mantras of this team and the players they want. To me, then you cross everyone out who opted out of the season. There's a lot of Cross people. them off the list. I, I, I'm willing to bet they could have taken someone with that pick that played football last year. And that player's probably playing right now for their team. Well, I can go through the list of first and second round picks who are out there playing that did not opt out last year. I'm just saying if you're going to preach a mantra and say what you want in a player, you need to abide by that. And I'm not surprised now when you bring in a guy that opted out 
that you're having issues getting him on the field. Well, to Here's be fair to Farley, he does have a shoulder injury. At least that's what they're saying. Yeah. But, I mean, it, he wasn't close to playing when healthy. Here's the game they like to play, though, Chad, with uh, they're drafting 19 with Simmons or they're drafting 22 with Farley. And we've talked a lot about this, Hut. Well, you know, these guys are more valuable. Their stock is down because they opted out. Their stock is down because they have a torn ACL. Their stock is down because they had back surgery. And we're getting, <laughs> we're getting a, a top five, a top ten pick at 19, at 22. We're going to outsmart everybody Who here. are the best players on this Titans team? I mean, that is so foolish. If they think that way. Derek Henry. Because this team loves drafting injured guys or guys with a criminal record. And I do not understand it because the best players on this well, team. criminal records are saying too much. Who's the one guy? Weaver. Derek Henry. Isaiah Wilson had trouble. He had. Well, he there, didn't there have were, a criminal record. There were whispers about Isaiah Wilson at Georgia with issues. Well, that's with different than a criminal record. Drug tests and whatever. They had issues. You gotta be, can't be loose with criminal record language. Okay, let me. I, I'll be very straightforward with this. Guys with issues. We love guys with injury issues or guys that have whispers about them in the past. Who are the best players in this Titans team? Derrick Henry. Not a whisper about him at Alabama. Being anything other than a great player and a good teammate who suited up and played every game. Ryan Tannehill. Never heard a thing about Ryan Tannehill not loving ball. Would Ryan Tannehill at A&M have opted out? Because of COVID? Hell no. A.J. Brown. Kevin Byard. Kevin Byard opted out? He's not one of the best Titans of a season. anymore. Kevin Byard's one of the leaders on that defense. Well, he's a leader. He's not one of the best players. I'm just not, not seeing right a lot now. of guys in that roster. The guys that... A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown. Fits what that, you're yeah, I mean, but it also fits what John Robinson says and what Mike Vrabel says. So I'm going by what they're saying, and the guys on the roster that fit that mantra aren't the guys they've been drafting. And they're in a slump. In the, they're in, in a personnel acquisition slump. I well, mean, Bud Dupree, it. they're hanging a lot on Bud Dupree, they too, and we're going to have to wait year. six weeks to find out about him. Yeah, and they're still trying to figure out how to, you know, keep his availability measured during the week, right? They're, I yeah. think that's what one of the assistant coaches said this week, that they're, they're, they're trying to figure out how to manage his time in the game and then during the week. It would have been Bowen. Because that's the only Bowen. defensive assistant that, yeah. that spoke this. Week. So I mean that that that's a, another key to it. Um, they, they survived the the lack of impact players last year, right? But new guys, I'm saying. Yeah, Beasley was a complete wash. Clowney, right? Really did Isaiah Wilson. You know the list goes on. Can they do it again this year? And why it, do they keep doing it? Like, well, how the, about a different approach? The first two draft picks are they're not not making an impact. Zero. Um, Third round draft pick is a special teamer, right? Right. Who, they, who wasn't a need. And, and Molden has been very good. I mean, uh, for, for where you drafted him and what he's doing. Right. But um, it's still somebody that maybe has too big of a role based on giving up a touchdown a game. He's given up a touchdown a game right now, which is more than, more than you want. You're asking too much of him probably. Coming up, we go through the top college football games of the week. Continue to preview week three in the NFL as well on OutKick 360. Sixth and Peabody with old Smoky Moonshine, Yeehaw Beer. Crew is all here with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Jill Savage from Outkick the Tailgate uh, will join us coming up in about 25 minutes. And also with Outkick, Bobby Carpenter. 
Outkick.com college football contributor and analyst. He joins us weekly here on the show. Bobby, hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, man. I'm uh, live here from the Carrier Dome, so it's nice and uh, nice and bright in here. They re- renovated it. It looks pretty good, and it's nice and climate controlled, so there won't be any sweating today, so I'm excited. It was a big news whenever they actually added AC. Yeah, how, how is that AC? You look, you look comfortable right <laughs> now, Bobby. Is it comfortable there? I don't think people realize exactly how tough it is on the, the game staff. And I say that a little bit sarcastically. They're not doing anything, but you're supposed to get in a suit. You go to a football game, call the game, and meanwhile, usually early in the season, it's incredibly hot. You have sweat pouring all over yourself, and you have to stay there and like kind of decompose. And you know, with all the mask stuff now, you have to put that stuff on, take it off, and you're sweating all over the place. It's it's not the funnest environment. I'd much <laughs> rather be out there playing. Uh, after uh, Gainesville, Florida last week, I know all about sweat and humidity. Uh, doing a show from the parking lot there before that game. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more pleasant temperature-wise in Chicago this weekend. Wisconsin and Notre Dame in Chicago, Bobby. How much are we going to find out about both of these teams in this matchup? I think this is kind of the story of college football in its young season. When you look at you know, a lot of these teams, they've had wins, they've had losses. You know, And you think, okay, well, this team's undefeated. Well, how good are they? Who have they beaten? Who has Notre Dame beaten? The Florida State team that doesn't look very good. You know, Toledo takes them down to the wire. You, know, you think Wisconsin's pretty good. They you know, played Penn State really tight at home, and then they beat up Eastern Michigan. They have a bye week sprinkled in there, but, but you really don't know. And so this is the one thing, like coming off this COVID year of trying to identify this, you had to kind of push everything out. And finally now after this week, we'll be a third of the way through the season, and you'll have a better idea of it. I think that Wisconsin's better than Notre Dame. I have a feeling that they are. I think they have the best unit that you're going to see that's involved in this game in their defense. They're very, very solid, led by Jim Leonard. He's going to put pressure and try to light up Jack Cohn, and he knows all about him. So I have a tendency to lean to Wisconsin this. I think they're going to win the game, but I do think it'll be pretty close, and it's going to be one that's going to captivate the eyes of the nation. You've got both Fox and ESPN there covering this thing, so it's really the biggest game in week four at this point. Bobby, I want to ask about your alma mater in Ohio State, and you look at the attendance issues And I say attendance issues, I know a lot of places across the country would love to have attendance issues like Ohio State is experiencing now. When you see those stories, though, about attendance at the shoe, do you think that's indicative of sports as a whole and getting people to come to the stadium? Or is it something specific going on that's not a great trend with Ohio State? Well, this is the first year that Ohio State's ever really had any issues. There's been a lot of schools that have had trouble selling out and you know, some of the non-conference games that you know aren't going to be that competitive, you're comparing it now to your viewing experience at home. And you think about it, you know, do I want to go to a, a Bama game? Do I want to go to a Penn State game? Or go to a game somewhere else where I know in the third quarter I'm not really going to want to be there and it's going to be a blowout, as opposed to I sit at home, I can watch half of my team, and then I can start jumping around and watching all of the other games on my 80-inch you know, flat screen with surround sound and everything is at my fingertips. And so it's a really... It's a better setup. I don't have to wait for bathrooms. Don't probably have to wear a mask into the stadium. You know, vaccine cards at different places. You know, there's a bunch of different constraints that I think is a trend in sports in general now with how good the home experience is. Now, we'll say this to Ohio State, that those things are factoring in a little bit. Also, the acceleration of ticket prices and how expensive it is talking 100 bucks more for a ticket in a game that you really don't feel like the outcome is going to be uh, in doubt after opening kickoff, like, do I really want to go to that now? You know, you put them, 
you're trying to put a game against Akron at night. Like nobody wants to wait around all day. That's that says day game written all over it. And so I think there's this kind of culmination of events where this is kind of a rough year, obviously with everything, but it makes a lot of sense. And I think they're going to have a huge issue you know, tomorrow night trying to get that Akron game. You know, I wouldn't even say sold out. I, I don't know if they'll have more than 65,000 people there, which that used to be what we would get for a bad spring game with rain. And so it's, it's tough to get people into the stadiums now. Michigan State only giving four and a half at home against Nebraska. Universally, everybody, including you, saying uh, it's not a spread that makes sense. What do the bookmakers know here, potentially? Well, it's a little bit unique in the standpoint of, you know, when you look at uh, Michigan State and, you know, they've obviously beat Nebraska or beat Miami last week. They looked really good in that game. They were able to run it. Kenneth Walker's been fantastic. Uh, Peyton Thorne's been really good. And I think everybody's just looking at that Nebraska game last week against Oklahoma and thinking, you know, that game was a lot closer than it should have been. Nebraska, you could even said if a couple other things break their way, they had a chance at winning it. You know, Adrian Martinez finally took care of the ball a little more. And I think that's what they're leaning on. I think Nebraska plays better. and They're better than what maybe you saw at the beginning of the season against Illinois. But I think Michigan State is going to be probably a top 20, top 15 team for most of the year and should be able to maybe challenge, you know, the Penn States, the Michigans, and the Ohio States in the Big Ten East. Bobby, I want to ask you about the game you're calling tonight uh, for ESPN, uh, and that is the game between Liberty and Syracuse. Uh, two things about the coaches in this game. Hugh Freeze as a future major program college coach and getting back in the game at Liberty and the success he's had there, what you think about his prospects moving forward and what he's done with that Liberty program. And Dino Babers at Syracuse, honestly, I thought it would work better than it has when he left Bowling Green. What, what do you think about both of these men and the job they've done at their respective jobs? Well, you look at Hugh Freeze and what he's been able to do and, you know, Liberty, you know, winning 10 games last year and, and bringing in really Malik Willis, who's a tremendous quarterback who, you know, the Auburn transfer, you look at Auburn in their situation with Bo Nix, Malik Willis is a heck of a lot better uh, than Bo Nix is at their, this point in his career. He's going to probably be somewhere between first round might be kind of high, but I think he'll be somewhere between a first and third round quarterback based upon what I've seen if he continues to progress. And so that's why he's had success. He's done a good job. They've recruited well. They have an identity, and they play good football. So conversely, with Dino Babers, it's tough going into upstate New York or in a, you know in the Northeast where college football isn't really all that big. And you know, high school football is you know big, but it's not like it is in the South or in some parts of the Midwest. So to recruit those areas, you almost have to have a guy from there. You know, and their staff isn't littered with Northeast guys, and so that causes a little bit of a problem as well. They just brought in Tony White, uh, their D coordinator, who was out west, but he's a Queens guy, so hopefully you can get some of those inroads into New York. And that's a little bit what Greg Shiano has done at Rutgers. Like, you have to be able to have that have ties into those areas to have success in recruiting and bringing in those players. So it's a little bit shocking. He started off fast. There's a chance to turn it around. But with what Hugh Freeze has done at Liberty, I think that's far more impressive. And it's a story that people should be talking about because they're going to be really good again this year. Uh, I'm curious to see where he ends up because someone at a big program is going to hire him and probably pretty soon. You know, I just love Northeastern college football, so, so I'll stay there. Boston College hosting Missouri and the backdrop of this game with Jeff Halfley and Eli Drinkwitz, not really going back and forth, but I loved Halfley's response to Drinkwitz when he basically said, look, I, I would prefer not to play this game because we want to go to states that have 
college prospects that we might recruit, and I'd rather have a different cross-sectional rivalry game other than playing against Boston College and Halfley come back and say, look, I'll play you anywhere. We'll play you in Missouri if, if you want. We, we just want to play football. It makes this game that when you look at it on paper, Bobby, wouldn't otherwise be that interesting, pretty interesting this week. It's, it's a little added juice, and that's what you love about college football, a little trash talk. And I understand Brinkman's, you know, what he's saying. It doesn't really benefit Missouri going up there and playing in the Northeast. They're not going to really recruit that part of the country ever. And so, yeah, would they rather play somewhere in the Southwest? You know, would you rather play someone like a Texas Tech or something like that? And, you know, maybe an old conference rivalry to be able to promote your school in that region of the country? Yeah, you know, that makes sense. That's something that you can see lining up. Yeah, but what's Jeff Athlete's first say? Okay. There's not a lot of guys up here. We'll go play out in Missouri. I love that. I, I think Jeff Halfley's a really good coach, and I love his response. You know, if you wanted to make, give us a call, get our ADs together, we could have figured out a way to go play in Missouri if that's what you wanted to do. And so it makes a game, like you said, that really wasn't all that interesting. It gives it a little juice. And that's what you need in some of these games where they don't really have that big national draw. But now all of a sudden we start talking about this, and people will tune in if it's a good game. You know, they'll be talking about it during the, the broadcast and people will tune in and, hey, you get a little you know, stuff going back and forth and maybe you kind of see how aggressive each coach plays it, you know, maybe trying to prove a point. Bobby Carpenter with us. Uh, he's with OutKick.com as a college football contributor. Uh, Bobby, um, Penn State, number six of the country right now. Hard to argue with how they've played recently against Auburn and others. Do you see them as a legitimate sixth best team in the country when you watch them play? How do you think they would actually hold up against some of the other teams around them right now? I don't know if there's a dominant team in college football right now. And, you know, that includes Alabama. I thought that they would, you know, handle Florida. They did for a half. And then all of a sudden Florida comes storming back. Thought Clemson was supposed to be pretty good. They lose to Georgia. And like no crime in that. But now you're, you know, it's a fourth, it's a goal line stand against Georgia Tech to find a way to get a win. And so Oklahoma playing Nebraska tight. Like, I don't think that there's clearly a dominant team. I think Penn State has a really good defense. When Sean Clifford, their quarterback, plays well, they look really good. If he doesn't turn the football over, he takes care of it. I think they can play with just about anybody. They've got a receiver on the outside, Jahan Dotson, who can take the top off of a defense. He's very, very talented, and they've recruited at a really high level. And so if James Franklin can do a good job managing the games. And if Sean Clifford plays well, I think there's someone that could compete with just about anybody in the top ten. So did you learn more about Alabama or Florida in, in last week's game, a game that the Crimson Tide won on the road? I think you learned a little bit about both, but probably more about Florida. You know, the fact that they were able to mount that comeback, you know, how well they were able to play, get it down to the wire. You'd like to see them be able to, you know, punch in a two-point, find a way to get that done, take it to overtime, maybe get a win. But them playing Bama as tight as they did, when I, I thought Bama was clearly going to be the best team this year after what I saw with Clemson, unless maybe Georgia could challenge them. But I think we found out a lot about Florida and the fight and the talent that they have on that team. So, you know, especially in, in this state, Rutgers and Tennessee are always going to be intertwined in football. Why? Because Greg Schiano, who got ousted by Tennessee fans as the hire, is now the head coach at Rutgers. Rutgers this week is a 20-point underdog against Michigan. Tennessee this week is a 20-point underdog against Florida. So I'll ask this in pairs, and we'll, we'll start with Rutgers uh, on this. What do you think we see from Greg Schiano's team? I, I know they have not really played anyone yet, but this game against Michigan, how much are we going to learn about them? And 
if not necessarily for real for a Big Ten title, but how legitimate their team is in, in now year two for Greg Schiano. I think Greg Schiano has done as good a job in the last season and change as anybody in college football. He took over a program that's been one of the worst in college football. It was the wor- one of the worst before he got there. And then after he left, it was one of the worst once again. And he's done a fantastic job, you know, building a little bit through transfers and, and being able to develop a culture and identity. This was a team that took Michigan to triple overtime last year. I mean, they were very close to being able to win that game. So they, he has them believing. They have an identity. They're tough. You know what? Some things work out the way they're supposed to. I think Greg Schiano is a heck of a football coach and would have been really good at Tennessee. I think he's a much better fit for Rutgers with based upon what he's done there and how talented he is and his ties in the recruiting and just his personality and the fact that he's from there. I think those all things all make a big difference. Uh, but I think I don't know if they win this game, but I think the spread's 20, and I could see this being a 7- to 10-point game, one possession game where Michigan will actually have to go out there and win it late in the fourth quarter. And I think fit is a great word to describe it, uh, where it maybe wouldn't have worked at Tennessee, but does work, obviously. worked before, and it seems to be working again at Rutgers. So now Josh Heupel in Tennessee, they're 2-1. and one. They had a great shot against Pittsburgh, and they squandered an opportunity with turnovers and penalties in, in that game. They go to Florida. Is there a Bama hangover for Florida in this game, and can Tennessee's fast-paced offense give the Gators some fits? I don't think they really will. I think Tennessee's still kind of – I know it's much, much to the chagrin of probably many of the people in the volunteer state. I still think they're a little ways away. I mean, Pitt – it's not like Pitt's this dominant school by any stretch either. I mean, I believe they lost to Western Michigan. Like, So I think Tennessee still has some ways to go. They'll be able to probably do some things offensively, be able to score some points, but I just don't think they have the players right now to be able to handle Florida for four quarters. Arkansas's run game can travel – but this time they're at home, and they're hosting Texas A&M. Uh, five or six-point underdog at home against A&M this week. Do you like the style and the identity of Arkansas this year? And how good are they when you watch them play? I think uh, it's been nine straight times that A&M has beaten Arkansas. But I'll tell you this. like you know, Before the Texas game, I thought they had a good shot to win that game. They came out and smoked them. Like, they're believing there. They, they're playing good football. They turned that thing around very quickly. I don't know if they quite have enough to take down AM, but I'll say this you know, when you lose you know, your starting quarterback you know, down at AM, it's tough. Uh, replacing Kellen Mond, I mean, people thought that, you know, maybe it would be easier than it would. And it's difficult when you lose your starting quarterback who had been there for a long time. I think we've seen that trend in college football a lot this, this season, whether it's at Clemson, Ohio State. You know, or heck, even Texas A&M, trying to replace a guy who is really good can be really, really difficult. So I don't know if Arkansas is enough to take down the Aggies. But I think this game, I don't know what the line is. I think it's inside a touchdown, possibly. I think they're going to be able to give them all they can handle. If I'm remembering correctly, we talked a little bit about Ed Ogeron's per- potential future or potential lack of future at LSU, as crazy as that seems. They're 120th rushing right now in the country. Um, is that going to fly against Mississippi State? He's going to have his work cut out for him against Mike Leach. I mean, you saw what Brian Kelly did to him, or uh, Chip, Chip Kelly did to him out at Oregon, or in, sorry, UCLA, going back way, way back this year there at UCLA. I mean, they were able to do some things you know, offensively against LSU's defense, which shouldn't happen. And LSU should never have a run game that's 120. 
they produce running backs in the NFL. Like no, like Ford produces cars. I mean, they used to crank those things out. And now you're telling me that the best they can muster is 120. Like that doesn't make any sense. I think LSU fans, you know, they've been content with, Hey, we have a good defense. Hey, we have a great running game. Maybe we're a little weak at quarterback sometimes, and that can bother us. But in general, we can run the football and play defense. And those two things have been lacking. And that's the stuff that I don't think is going to fly there. Ed Orgeron's a defensive coach. Defensive coaches love to run the football, and they love to play defense. And right now, the Tigers aren't really doing either one of those all that well. Bobby, in your morning show there in Columbus or uh, just talking with people around college football, what is the sentiment in Big Ten land for the expansion of the college football playoff. I know they met yesterday. They're meeting next week in Chicago. Uh, it sounds like Sankey wants to stay at four or go to 12, no in-between. Where do you come down on it, and what are you hearing? You know, I, I think a lot of it, and this is what people are looking at, is once Texas and OU jumped and decided to go to the SEC, it's now well, let's figure out kind of how all this settles and shakes out. Oh, and by the way, like let's open this back up to the TV partners because to get a deal done prior – to the, the expiration of the current TV deal, you would have to agree up with ESPN. And I think there's a lot of the conferences and ADs that weren't necessarily comfortable with that. I ultimately believe it gets to 12. I think everybody wants it to get to 12. It's just, how does it look? What are the constraints placed upon it? What are the qualifications? How does the selection process going to be done? Home sites, all these different things that they've got to figure out. I think that's really more the issue. Not necessarily do, do people want it to expand, it's how do they potentially want it to expand. Each week at Outkick.com, I, I know you're posting your best bets. Uh, what was number one this week for you? Where should we go? Oh, goodness. I like uh, I like Wisconsin to be able to take care of uh, Notre Dame. I mean, I, I know that I probably shouldn't because Jack Cohn's been playing well and Graham Merce hasn't, but I, do, I think that Wisconsin defense is going to be the difference in that game. Bobby Carpenter, and you can hear him and watch him on the call tonight. Uh, Liberty and Syracuse there at the Carrier Dome. Hey, great having you on the show each week. Thanks for the flexibility on the timing of all of this, and uh, we'll catch up next week. It's always great, Bobby. Hey, Thanks. My, my pleasure, guys. Hopefully the uh, ambient noise and the warm-ups and everything weren't too much. Perfect. I appreciate it. Enjoy that That's AC. Great. Yeah, we were fun. <laughs> Bobby Carpenter has been our guest. Uh, okay, I'm loading up on Wisconsin, Chad. Yeah, and I'm also loading up on uh, Hugh Freeze and Liberty. Isn't it amazing how after last year and all the talk about job openings and Hugh Freeze, that's the most under-the-radar team this year? And they've got Malik Willis, who's a possible first-round well, draft pick at quarterback. And then there's Coastal Carolina, too. Yeah, Jamie yeah. Chadwell. I actually like that R Rutgers staying uh, inside that 20. Uh, yeah, at Michigan? Yeah, it just—it uh, seems like they—they they have righted the ship to a degree. Syracuse is the only tough team they've played, but you have a lot of faith in Michigan winning by twenty. I, I like it. I like Rutgers covering that twenty-point spread, um, and, and he's right about—I love the word "fit" to describe Shiano at Rutgers versus Shiano at Tennessee. And maybe it would have worked out at Tennessee. I don't think so, but it's a—it's a natural fit for him. He should just in the stay Northeast there at Ruck, Rutgers. Yes, that—that that should be. This should be a Supreme Court appointment. He retires when he wants, and that's his last football coaching job. We'll take a look at a trip around the NFL for week three, give our top picks for the weekend as well, all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Welcome back. Can Jack. I, can I uh, 
Can I direct right now for a second? Just go wide. Take it. Just there we <laughs> just go. That's stay. that's how you handle that situation. Thank you. Uh, wide is the way to go. Um, it's been a lot of fun uh, so far. We've got a game tomorrow, though, Jill. That's not going to be a game. So um, how we're do trying we, to avoid that. Yeah, and look, we got to be honest about where we are and what we're calling. Last week, we were calling hands down the biggest game of the weekend in college football yeah. with Alabama, and it delivered. Yeah. It was a great game. This game will not deliver uh, on anything. So how honest should we be about that fact tomorrow? I think we're very honest. I think that we look at it and say, you look at Clark Lee, you look at he's trying to build a program. What do they need to do to get there is something that we're going to be hitting on on the show tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I think we all know that we're going to be able to go get like, you know, hot dogs and nachos like real early. Yep. You know, 11, 15, maybe. Maybe Chad will make some frittatas for us in the morning. Uh, Actually, someone taught me how to make a great frittata one time, and uh, I could could definitely do that. Maybe Warren Moon would would make a nice omelet or frittata for us because – He's going to be swinging by our set tomorrow in lot two. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be that's going to be great. You know, so my background is I'm I was raised in Big Ten country. I'm a Hawkeye. I'm from Iowa, uh, but I can worked hear that. for the Pac-12 network for the last nine or ten years. And so Warren Moon, Washington Husky quarterback, I've had a chance to interview him. Uh, so maybe we'll get some Pac-12 talk in tomorrow Wait, no, for sure. But. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's fun to have Warren and, and some of these West Coast ties in as well. So yeah, I mean if, if he was if he's willing to make us food, yeah. hands down, Same. that's gonna happen. Next week we are in Tuscaloosa, the week after that, College Station, those next three stops, including Nashville for tomorrow, announced earlier this week at Outkick. Uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. And it's every Saturday morning on the Outkick Network. Jill Savage as our host as we hit the college towns with the Outkick bus. Uh, with uh, Big Noon Kickoff and with Outkick.com. It's going to be a blast. We hope you'll join us 9 a.m. to noon Eastern, 8 a.m. to 11 Central each and every Saturday morning. And if you're in the Nashville area, come down and hang out tomorrow morning. Get up early. Morning tailgates are the best. That's what Chad Withrow always told me. You know, if you're drunk before 9 a.m., it's one of the best sensations you'll ever feel. And that's what a lot of people are going to be doing, especially Vandy fans tomorrow, to get to prepare for that game as this mic now drops a little bit. I, uh, I feel like this is where my sister comes into play. So I grew up, obviously, this is what I do for a living. She knows nothing about sports. But her sophomore year in college, she figured out, wait a minute. You're, you're telling me that people just go out and drink in parking lots really yeah. early in the morning? I don't have to go to the football game. I can just drink and hang out with friends. So I feel like, you know, that atmosphere, that vibe is what we're going to be going for. Well, and it's tomorrow. not even, you don't, have to, be a, you don't have to be a Georgia or Vandy fan, exactly. you know? Ellie, our production assistant, may swing by. Uh, she went to Ole Miss. You could be a fan of any team and just come say hey and hang out with us and enjoy yourself. Drink in the morning. Yeah. Eat some good food. Bring us some good food. Do it, yeah. And you guys had such a, a productive night out last night, you found out that Ellie likes us. Yeah, which is a revelation. tremendous, yeah. tremendous investigative work. We, uh, uh, we're going to have the Fox, we had the Fox crew with us last night. Fox crew is about to join us uh, here at the 6th uh, and Peabody location for another big shoot this evening. It's going to crank up a little bit. We're not, uh, we're not off mic as soon as we get off air here, Chad, so get ready. It's... um. I do some work on Fridays after the show also, and it's it's definitely um, the lights are going to get a little hotter after this. So it, it's going to continue on in, into the night and tomorrow morning. I want to just put on record my two upset picks for week three in the NFL. The Chargers are beating Kansas City Chiefs this week. 
Chiefs are going to be one and two after week three. Um, also, with that. the Chicago Bears are winning over the Cleveland Browns. Not uh, on board with rookie that. start. It is time for Justin Fields to make every Bears fan appreciate the fact that he's finally playing. I am intrigued to see the game plan that they dial up for him. And what's a big game for the Bears? The Bears can be two and one after this week. The Browns one and two, potentially. Those are my two upset outright winners for the two underdogs. Arizona Cardinals give the seven and a half against the Jaguars. It's easy money, just like it was last week with Denver at six and a half. Bet against the Jags. Chad's already previewed a bit of the college football picks for tomorrow. We'll save ours for in the morning. But Chad is going to take Florida minus the points, correct? I'm going to take Florida minus the points. And because we're not going to talk about this game tomorrow, I'll go ahead and say it. Bobby Carpenter convinced me. Take Rutgers on the money line as a 20-point underdog. Rutgers wins and beats Michigan tomorrow. Also, Garrett Cole beats the Red Sox tonight. How do we feel about Titans-Colts? I, uh, I think the Titans are going to come out and play good, good football. And if they don't do anything stupid, they, they should win. I think they are going to feed A.J. Brown early and often in this game. Julio and A.J., this is the first time we're going to see them together produce at a very high level. Titans win and the Colts are 0-3. Here's the one thing. The best player on the field is going to be DeForest Buckner. How good do they let him be? Jill, welcome to Music City. See you tomorrow morning. See you then. Uh, this is our one-week anniversary. We, we met a week ago <laughs> oh, at a bar so named Balls, and now we are here just rolling through the SEC. Way to get her flowers, guys. I'll kick the tailgate tomorrow morning at 8 Central. Jill, don't block the box and do lock the locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.